Lord God, I pray, Lord, that you would just meet us here this morning in a special way. Um, You know us all together, Lord. You tell us you know when we sit down, you know when we rise up, you know our thoughts when they're still afar off. Lord, you're acquainted with all of our ways. You know us all together. And, and you know all that we have gone through, all that we've been through, all that we're struggling with today. And I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just so kindly minister to us this morning. Speak to our hearts. Cause us to fall more deeply in love with you this morning. May we be more in awe of you this morning. May you be more exalted in our hearts this morning. And may the same thing be taking place as Pastor Don leads the kids and the children's ministry, Lord. May they find themselves in awe of you this morning, wanting to worship you with all that is within them. We pray that that would take place here on this campus this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. A passage familiar to to surely all of us, but let's read it and, and look at it more closely this morning. Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now think of this passage. Written nearly a thousand years before the coming of Christ. Written by the prophet Isaiah, and and he's writing this passage, inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this, to be a comfort to his people, a people who are rebellious, a people who have wandered so far away from him. He's writing a passage and, and putting this here in the book of Isaiah for them to read at that time and for us to read at this time. For unto us, a child is born. They're reading this at that time and saying, okay, a child is born. There is going to come one. There's going to be a child that comes, a child that's born. And it'll be a, a son. Unto us, a son is given. This is a gift. It's given to God's people. The government will be upon his shoulder. Someone who is is powerful. You're reading through this and going word by word. And as they're reading this, he's powerful. The government will be upon his shoulder. And his name, it will be called Wonderful. His name will be called Wonderful. His name will be called Counselor, one that ministers to their every need. His name will be called Mighty God. You need to stop there for a moment. 
if you're there reading this at that particular time, everything has stopped because you now know that there is one that is coming, a child that's going to be born, a son that's going to be given, and his name will be called Mighty God. The all-powerful, mighty God of the universe. That will be his name. His name will be called Everlasting Father. One who will always be there. His name will be called Prince of Peace. Looking at his names alone would have enabled the reader to know that there is one that is coming who is a Messiah, who surely is Christ the Lord. Wonderful. Counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, forever. It will go on forever and ever and ever. Now, the last part of this verse is maybe a part that we haven't focused on very much, or maybe you haven't focused on very much. I know that I had not thought of it the way that I did as I prepared for this morning. But notice what the Lord says as he closes, verse 7. The zeal, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. We are driving here this morning, and Jonathan was saying, he was reading the passage that he read for us this morning, which is this exact same passage. And he got to the part where he said, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And he said, what does zeal mean? What does it mean, the zeal? And I, I said, it's, it's talking about the, the sovereign determination of the Lord, that this is a passionate determination that is going to make this happen. And I said, think of, wrestling at the national tournament in Tulsa. Jonathan's a wrestler. Going to the national tournament in Tulsa, it's, it's the biggest tournament in the nation. It's, it's this huge event that takes place where the top kids in the country go to. There'll be dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of wrestlers for his age and his weight. And I'll tell you, there's some of the scariest looking kids you ever did see. These kids are, I mean, these I don't know if the parents just make them look scary. I mean, some of them have mohawks that are going straight up in the air, and they just look like, you know, they've been beaten their entire lives, and now they want to just unleash on somebody. And Jonathan will look at these guys like, and I'm looking at them thinking like, my kids got to wrestle these kids, you know, and you're looking at it. And I said, picture going to the tournament. Like, you, if you want to make it all the way to the finals, well, what, what kind of passion would be there, Jonathan? You, you, you can't just start your first match and be like, mm, hope I win. I mean, you, you have to be like so determined, right? I mean, if you're going to make it, and, and he knows what he, he's made it to the quarterfinals of this and, and placed there in the nation. So you, you look and, and it's win after win after win after win after win after win of some of the scariest kids you ever did see. And, and you look at these other kids that, and the kid that wins, you, you know he, he, doesn't, he doesn't do anything else but wrestle. These kids are crazy. But the kind of determination that would take place to get you to that place, 
There's no half-heartedness in that sport at all. You can't go into it and be like, oh, let's just see what happens. I mean, it is like the most focused, like, this is what we do. And I, I told him, I said, that's, that's zeal. Like, it's going to take zeal for you to get all the way to here, right? Now we look at the passage here, and it's talking about this child who's born, the son that's given, the Messiah who is to come, Christmas. And when you think of how this is going to come about, God tells us the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. You think of all that God has done, created the heavens and the earth, speaks these things into existence, all the stars, all the planets, the earth, all that has ever been created. And it doesn't say the zeal of the Lord of hosts made these things. When you think of him separating the Red Sea and, and God's people walking through and this miraculous event taking place, it doesn't say the zeal of the Lord of hosts made that happen. When you think of him calming the sea or healing the leper or raising the dead, these incredibly miraculous things that, that our, our all-powerful God has done, It doesn't say the zeal of the Lord of hosts did these things. And yet when we think about Christ to come, the Messiah, Christmas, it tells us specifically the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. This is good, good news for us. You see, Christ did not come because there was anything good in us. It wasn't because we deserved it. We didn't earn Christmas. It wasn't something where Christ came and was born there in Bethlehem and laid there in the manger, in that stable. Because we did anything whatsoever to earn it. We didn't woo him unto ourselves as far as save us. We need a savior. We're so good and we're so close. We just need to go a little bit further. Can you help us? There's nothing like that taking place at all. Scripture makes that abundantly clear. I mean, you think of from the very beginning, you think of Adam and Eve falling in the, in the garden. Of all the trees of the garden you could eat, just don't eat of this one tree. And what happens? They eat of that tree. And they die spiritually. And it wasn't a situation where they're like, we never should have done that. Let's let's just all be the best people we can from this point forward. No, you have a brother killing a brother as one of the next events that you find. And it wasn't after that where they're like, okay, you know, Cain's totally repentant of all of his ways. He's going to be the best kid that he could be now. And all of his lineage will learn from his example. No, you, 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 you go just a short distance further and you find Noah. And you, and you watch and you see Noah and, and, and the inclinations of their heart are only evil continually where, where the people just are in the midst of just heinous sin, wandering far from God, not wanting anything to do with God. This is the pattern that you see. When you see God bless the people, when you see God have manna come down from heaven, what, what happens? They complain. When they're out there in the desert, it's just like, why didn't you just leave us in Egypt to die there? 
It's complaining after complaint after complaint after complaint. He tells us that they've forsaken him. The fountain of living waters. They've, They've gone after broken cisterns that can hold no water. They've gone far, far from God. You watch man and you look at the history of man and you find over and over and over again sin. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, For there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. Not one. You look through Scripture and it tells us in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Ecclesiastes 9.3, truly the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Ephesians 2 tells us that, that we once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, Satan himself. We have fallen as far short from earning anything from God that we possibly could have fallen from. It was not that unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given because we have merited it at all. It is all grace. It is all because the zeal of the Lord of hosts performed it. It was all because he was determined to do this. From the very beginning, he was determined to do this. You see in scripture where it has been his plan from the very beginning. Revelation 13:8 tells us that he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Before he ever created the world, he knew that he would be the lamb that was slain upon the cross. Think of that in your mind for a moment just as far as like who our God is creates a universe in which man is created in the image of God, falls into sin, dies spiritually, rebels against him to the nth degree so that God can show us his glory. A purpose that's in it. He could have looked to the future if he was that small of a God and said, okay, well, I'm going to look ahead, kind of see what's going to happen, and then I'll decide whether I'm going to do this or not. It's not the way God worked. He created everything, decreeing everything, knowing these things would come to pass knowing that he'd be the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1.4 tells us that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. What a radical verse that is. You, you, he knew you. He chose you before he ever created, before the foundation of the world. Titus 1.2 tells us in Hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. 
Before time ever existed, there was this plan of Christ who would come. 1 Peter 1.19 says, But with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Do you see it over and over again? Before the foundation of this world, before any of that, foreordained, determined, would take place. And so we have Isaiah 9. A child is born. A son is given. He will be God himself. He'll be wonderful. He'll be counselor. He'll be mighty God. He'll be everlasting father. He'll be prince of peace. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. It will make, he will make this happen. God's plan is to exalt his son to bring salvation to his people. He accomplished this, and he has fully triumphed with the greatest display of grace imaginable. He knew it would happen. Promises were made, and promises were fulfilled. In 2 Samuel seven sixteen to David, he says, And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. David, your throne shall be established forever forever in micah 5 2 it tells us that he would come from bethlehem though you are little among the thousands of judah yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be the ruler in israel whose goings forth are from of old even from everlasting one from bethlehem coming from everlasting to daniel He says in Daniel 7.13, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Now, here are these prophecies that are given. An everlasting kingdom, it won't be destroyed. He'll be the ancient of days. This is what's going to happen. He's going to come from Bethlehem, and this is how it's all going to occur. And then you see the angel. Go to Mary in Luke chapter 1 and verse 31, where he says, And behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he'll be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. All of it planned. The angel coming and saying, this is going to happen. God is going to display himself. God is going to show us his glory. God is going to show us his character. God's going to show us his nature. And it's going to come in a Messiah, Christ the Lord. God... God does this, and he does it for his glory. There is zeal from our God for his holy name. Look at number one there. He comes, we'll look at Ezekiel 36 for a moment in verse 21. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations wherever they went. Therefore, save the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God. 
I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in, the, in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hollowed in you before their eyes. I will do this. And it's not because of how great you are. It is because of how great I am. I am going to do this for my namesake. I am going to do it for that reason. I will glorify myself. He has had this zeal from eternity past, number two. In John 17, verse 4, it says, Jesus there in his prayer is saying, I have glorified you on the earth. I finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Before it was. You picture the son praying to the father there, and he's saying, I've glorified you on earth. I did this. I finished the work which you have given me to do. Now glorify me together with yourself, with with the glory which I had with you before the world was. See the triune God there where Christ in all of his glory from everlasting, from all eternity. And now he's saying, I've glorified you on earth. I finished what you have given me to do. The zeal of the Lord has performed this. When we look at Christ, we find that in Hebrews chapter 1, he says that he has spoken to us, God has spoken to us by his Son. He's appointed heir of all things. He made the worlds through him who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had made himself purged, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, that is our God. Now, think of this passage here in Isaiah 9 and think of our salvation and the zeal of the Lord in salvation. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Think of the incarnate Christ. We just looked that he had the glory with the Father from the very beginning, from everlasting. Now look at the plan of God like in its entirety. As believers, you know God, right? You know him. We're not those that worship idols. We're not those that worship carved images. We're not those that don't believe that there's any God. We believe in the God of the Bible. God's revealed himself to us in the pages of Scripture. But think of how God has glorified himself through Christmas. Okay? He creates everything, everything that exists. Creates man in his own image and says, this is good. Man falls into sin. The wages of sin is death. 
man has earned eternity apart from God where he is unable to see the glory of God for all eternity in hell. He can't do anything to save himself. He's given the law and you watch him break the law over and over and over and over and over again. God institutes the sacrificial system where there must be the shedding of blood for the remission of sins. And yet they, they go and they do this yearly and they, they, they have to bring a, a lamb without spot or blemish or any such thing and the blood must be shed because there has to be the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins. And so you watch this process take place and God shows man, you are a sinner. You fall over and over again. Everything I tell you to do, you go against these things. You're in desperate need of a Savior. You're in desperate need of forgiveness of sins. You're in desperate need of a sacrifice to be made in your place because apart from that, the fierceness of the wrath of God is going to come upon you. And so you watch God's people go and they take their lamb and they find one without spot or blemish or any such thing and they, they go and they bring it there before the temple and they have these lambs sacrifice and there's specific details of how this is all going to take place. But God is doing this, showing man's sin, showing the depths of the sin, showing the inclinations of their heart so that they would come to a place of seeing Christ, like John the Baptist saw Christ coming, saying, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Behold him who's come. The angel saying, it's Christ the Lord. It's Christ the Lord that's come. Looking and watching all that God has done to where we see Christ now, we see Christmas, and you look and you think, A child is born. God became man. And it happened because the zeal of the Lord of hosts determined to perform that. The creator of all that exists, and there's no room in the end. The creator of all that exists And he's laid in a manger. The creator of all that exists and he does not have a place to lay his head. The creator of all that exists and yet he's tempted in all ways yet without sin. The creator of all that exists and he's ridiculed and he's mocked and he's spit upon and his beard is plucked. He's scourged with the cat of nine tails and he hangs there upon a cross. His blood is shed as the wrath that you and I deserve comes upon himself. So that we would never have to experience it ever. And he rises again on the third day and he tells us that we will rise with him in glory for all eternity. Now when you think about that God, can he be improved upon? No. He's full of glory. He's perfectly holy. He is without sin. He's majestic in all of his ways. And yet, he was born. A child was given. 
He lived a perfectly righteous life. He fulfilled all righteousness. He lived to absolute perfection, obeying all of the law, all that God had called him to do. And yet this innocent lamb without spot or blemish took all of our sin upon himself. Fast forward for a moment and put yourself in heaven. On that side of eternity. You're in heaven now. And you and I are there. What kind of things do we say when we're there? Do we sit up in heaven and, and, and say things like, I did it? I did it. Do we sit up in heaven saying, oh, I'm so glad that all the good stuff outweighed the bad stuff in my life because that was a close one. There's nothing of the sort that is said. When we're in heaven, we say, he did it. When we're in heaven, we say, I won't boast in anything. My hands are empty. I was a sinner saved by grace. He was the king of kings and lord of lords. He was the prince of peace. He was the one that was the sacrificial lamb. He was the one that took my sins upon himself. All glory belongs to him. Every bit of it, all of it belongs to him. Every bit of it. His love can't be improved upon. Can't be improved upon. His grace is immeasurable. It's unending. His mercy. It fulfilled every need that I had. His righteousness is what I'm clothed with. It's all that I need. It's perfect. The payment that was made upon the cross was full. It was complete. It was finished. He did it all. He loved me with that kind of love. The Father loved me to give me His Son. The Son loved me to lay down His life for me. He did this. The Holy Spirit loved me in drawing me unto Himself and taking my eyes that were blind and making me able to see. He did it all. All together, it was Him. Every bit of it was Him. Not a partnership. Not us doing our part, meeting him, and figuring out how, how do we get the rest of the job done. He did it all. I mean, when you look at this, what does it say? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. it will, he will perform it. It doesn't say he might perform it. It doesn't even say God will perform it. It says the zeal, the passionate zeal of the Lord of hosts to go all the way through. When they eat of the forbidden fruit, when they kill their brother, when the inclination of their heart is only evil continually, when they've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters for broken cisterns that could hold no water. When, When my disciples tell me, Far be it from you. You're not going to the cross. When, 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 when he's there and, and, and he tells the disciples there in the garden, we watch and pray. Can you watch and pray with me for one hour? And what do they do? They fall asleep over and over and over again. When they forsake him. When Peter denies him. When he's there on the cross and they all flee away from him. Do you not praise the Lord that 
It is not based on our performance, but it's based on the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. He will do it. He will accomplish it. And he will make his name great. He will make it so every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He began a good work in you. He'll be faithful to complete it. He will seal you until the day of redemption. You will spend eternity with him and it'll be where all of the glory belongs to him because the zeal of the Lord of the hosts will perform it. That is the God that we serve and that is how he works. And when he tells us unto us, A child is born, and unto us a son is given. And this is who he's going to be. I praise the Lord that it wasn't dependent upon our performance or how much we deserved it. But it was based upon a God who would display himself so that all glory and all honor would belong to him forever. We find that kind of zeal throughout the entirety of his life. John 2, 17 then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. The zeal of the Lord for holiness. It's God who was doing this. It's God who enabled him. You remember Jesus where the, 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 the disciples came and, and said, Rabbi, eat. And he said, I have food or meat to eat which you do not know. And therefore the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said to him, said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. I have meat that you don't even know of. I have food that you don't know of. And what it is, is the zeal of the Lord host will perform it. A passion in Christ to accomplish his purposes, to finish the work which God had given him to do so that he can make us his people for all eternity. So he could pay the price for us, so that we could spend eternity with him. The zeal of the Lord in his death, Isaiah 50, verse 7, for the Lord God will help me. Again in Isaiah, for the Lord God will help me. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. This is looking to Christ who is to come. What does he do? He sets his face like flint. I will go to the cross. He sets his face like flint when the disciples forsake him. When he's given an unfair trial. When he's beaten brutally. When it's said to him, you saved others. You can't save yourself. When he could have abandoned ship at any time and said, I'm done with these people. He didn't. Because of the zeal of the Lord of hosts, he performed all that we needed for our salvation. He set his face like flint towards that. And that glory, the zeal that God has for glory, his glory, will go throughout all eternity. Matthew 24, verse 30. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform unto us a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. 
Did it happen? Yes. In the little town of Bethlehem. How much more will that zeal continue to where God assures us that the day will come where he will appear in heaven and everybody will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. You'll see him displayed. You see the glory of the Lord in the beauty, the wonderful beauty, him being the counselor and mighty God and everlasting father and the prince of peace. We look at his glory. We can see it now, can't we? In part. We see it. We see that he's worthy to be worshipped with every bit that's inside of us. He's worthy of all of our affections. He's worthy of our heart. He's worthy of all of it. But I assure you that it will continue to where he will come in the clouds with great glory. And you will see him displayed in such a way that you will worship him forevermore. In awe of him. Praising him as the angels do day and night for the God that we serve. Isaiah 19, 16. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. For all eternity, God's zeal for his glory will be displayed for us as we constantly seek the magnitude of the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, 6 and 7. The zeal of the Lord performed it. The Lord of hosts. I'm so thankful for the faithfulness, the zeal, the unconditional love, the unending grace, the abounding mercy, all of these things. I am so thankful for it from our Lord. But as a result of that, ought there not to be zeal from us? Ought there to be? For us to think of the zeal of the Lord to save people who have done nothing to earn it, nothing to merit it, pay the price for us in its entirety so that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The zeal of the Lord who will do these things, slain from the foundation of the world, knowing all of these things, creating the nerve endings that would have stakes driven through them thousands of years later. Creating the nerve endings that would have a crown of thorns slammed upon his forehead. The God who created all of these things, knowing that this would take place. And his zeal, his passion for his glory, made certain that it would be performed. Ought we not to have zeal for that same God that saved us? Isaiah 59, 17 says, For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. Our Savior was clad with zeal as a coat. It surrounded him. The zeal of the Lord was such that it covered him entirely. And 
then that ought to be us as well. Zeal for him. Loving him like that. Not looking at Christmas as, okay, let's read these verses and we'll sing these songs and we'll exchange gifts and let's find a really good Christmas tree. In our prayer last Sunday, before the service, George Agawa, if you've ever prayed with George or listened to George or ever talked to George, you know that there are word pictures all the time, right? All the time. It's constant. It's awesome. You listen, I just wait to see what nuggets he'll come up with on any given day. Well, last Sunday he prayed and he just prayed like, God, just obliterate Frosty and Santa and Rudolph. And I talked to him after him, like, hey, dude, I don't, don't pray that, like, on Sunday morning, okay? Because there's kids there, and the picture of, of Frosty obliterated <laughs> is something that should never go into a kid's mind, you know, as far as the obliteration of Santa. The, <laughs> and yet, I love, I mean, when you look at the glory of Christ and what he's done for us, doesn't it seem like Frosty and Santa and Rudolph ought to be just obliterated. When you think of the glory of God, you know, some of you maybe came in and the glory of God looks something like the flame on one of these candles. Maybe not even that, maybe just a tiny little light. You look at a candle like this and now there's heat to it, a little brighter. But the glory of our Lord is, is, is such that it's blazing. It's unquenchable. It's so bright that there's no need for the sun in heaven. His glory lights up the entirety of it. May we see God in such a way that when we think of Christmas, the glory of God, it's not a little candle flickering, but it is a blazing fire and heat as if coming from the magnitude of the sun that we feel it. And it goes through our windows and into our home and it affects our lives. And when we think of Christ, there is zeal that is there for the one who was zealous for us. We know what he's done. We've seen who he is. Now let's respond with adoration. And I will exhort you this morning, pray that God causes you to have that kind of zeal. We're dependent upon him to even have the zeal. Do you get that? You can't even do that on your own. Pray that God would give us zeal for him this Christmas to worship him properly. Amen. We're about ready to partake in communion. What a great God that we serve. Dies on the cross for our sins. Pays the price for every sin that, we could, that we've ever committed or ever could commit. And then he tells us that we're to take the bread, which represents his body broken. And we're to eat of it. And we're to do that in remembrance of him. We're to take the cup, which represents a new 
covenant of his blood and we're to take it and we're to drink it and we're to do it in remembrance of him. And he says, don't do this in an unworthy manner. Don't do it in a way in which it's an unworthy manner. You'll be adding judgment unto yourself. Don't do it that way. And the reason why is because it's sacred. When you partake in the Lord's Supper and you take that bread and you take that cup, we are proclaiming his death till he comes. Those that recognize that our sins have been washed away, they are gone, they are removed, they are remembered no more. And the reason why is because Christ paid the price for us with the precious blood of Christ. And so when we partake, it's worship. It's not to be done by unbelievers, it is to be done by believers. And it's not to be done in any kind of unworthy manner, but in such a way in which we love him and worship him and glorify him and praise him for what he's done. And so what we'll do is ushers will come forward and help in distributing the elements. You can walk forward through this middle aisle, take your elements and go back to your seats. And then if you don't mind, we will pray together and then partake together as a body as we worship him. Let's pray together right now. Lord God, we're thankful for this time in your word. We're thankful for your zeal, for your glory, such that, Lord, you have performed all that we need for salvation. What a display of our Savior. A child born, a son given. We praise you for that. And I pray, Lord, as we come forward to partake of of communion. That there would be just a blazing fire within each one of us that is a result of you, Christ, seeing you, being in awe of you. Cause this to be just a precious time of worship. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.